This morning we are uh, beginning a new series, or actually returning to our previous series in Luke. For the last few weeks, actually almost two months now, we've been working through the book of Romans, uh, talking, listening to Paul encourage the church to accept one another, to unity, to love each other, especially in light of their faith in Jesus. This morning we're returning back to Luke's gospel. And uh, if you can remember back to August, first of all, I'd be really impressed. Secondly, you might remember that Jesus was challenging the religious establishment of his time. Uh, healing people who other people thought he should be healing, healing them on the Sabbath, eating grain on the Sabbath, doing these things that the religious leaders of his time thought were, were wrong, and they were challenging, uh, they were questioning Jesus about it. Not only that, but uh, we, the last sermon we preached in August on this out of Luke was when Jesus called his disciples to him, and he called them apostles. And if you remember some of the pictures we had of the commercial fishermen to give us an understanding or a new view of these guys, they weren't saints with halos on their head, they were fishermen. They were rough guys. One of them was a tax collector. Another one of them were um, uh, a religious or a, a political zealot. Uh, so this ragtag, ragtag group of disciples that Jesus had called and made apostles. Our passage this morning, we're going to be moving on from there, gets me thinking about who can come to Jesus? What sort of person do you need to be? Not only that, but once we come, how should we respond and more importantly, how does Jesus want us to respond? I'm not sure if you've ever wondered about those questions. But what does Jesus want from us as we gather around him? What does he want for us as his people? These are good questions. And they affect not only how we come to Jesus, but whether we'll come to Jesus. And how we view others who come. But most importantly, it shapes our understanding of what we do once we get close to Jesus. What does he want from us? I love the Word of God. If we listen, not just hear it, but listen to it, it's powerful and changes our lives. It will lead us not only into life more full, but life that goes on forever. If you would please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 12, but also be on the screen. Just to remind us of the context, uh, this comes from an August when we preached on this, and I preached on this text. Uh, Luke tells us that one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountain to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Now, being here, he's been up on a mountainside all night praying. Uh, this is not some decision that Jesus arrived at lightly. Not only that, but he chose and he designated them apostles. Apostle is the Greek word for sent ones, people that Jesus was sending in his name. And this is where we pick up the text today. It says, he went down with them and stood on a level place. Now, I want to talk about this just for a minute because in Luke, it says Jesus started on a mountain and went down to a level place. And Matthew says Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down and began uh, to preach. Now, some people might ask, you know, where do these variations come from? Why does Matthew say Jesus went up on a mountain? Luke says he came down to a flat spot. Matthew has his Sermon on the Mount is much longer. There's some wording that's different. The first thing I want to say is that there are some cultural differences between us and first century Israel. I know that's obvious, but sometimes we need to be reminded of that. The ancients, they had great memories, but they didn't have recording devices. They didn't have video recorders uh, and things like that. So they would oftentimes uh, take down or remember the gist of a sermon or an epitome of it, the, the summary of it. 
Now, they remembered it very well, and they remember it, um, a lot of the details, but they didn't have the same sort of um, news-like um, um, investigative reporting sort of approach that we often do in our culture, where in our culture we say, oh, if the wording is different, then something's wrong. There must be a rat. Whereas in the ancient times, they knew that they were talking more about the content of the sermon, the content of the teaching. So they, um, uh, it could be, too, that often uh, like they would write an epitome. And it's interesting, as you read this sermon of Jesus, I actually read it out loud. <clears throat> Any guesses on how long it takes to read Jesus' sermon on the plane? Under four minutes. Okay? So Jesus has... Hundreds, maybe over a thousand people gathered him, and I would bet you dollars to donuts he spoke longer than four minutes. So what we have here in this passage is a summary, is the main points, the memorable points of this sermon. Now, there could be a few different reasons why Luke's version of this teaching is different than Matthew's. One of them might be different epitomes or different summaries of that sermon. Could be. I mean, if Luke, if I read Luke's and it took under four minutes, Matthew's, I think, I think takes around seven minutes. Um, perhaps we just have different summaries of the same sermon. Could also be, this could be the same event. It could be, you know, some people will say, Matthew says up on a mountain. Luke says down on a flat spot. What's, you know, who's right? Or are they both making this up? Um, it could be that actually Matthew said Jesus went up on a mountain. And Luke says he was on a mountain, and maybe he just came to a flat spot that's still on the mountain. So it could be the same event. These could also be different events. could be that Jesus preached, preached this same message in numerous places. It's very common among itinerant preachers even today. I know that often when I'm asked to go preach at another church, I often use a sermon that I've already prepared. In that sense, too, people might hear, if you were to ask someone from our church and then someone from that church, they might give you slightly different variations of what I said. Now, it could be, um, there's lots of options here of why Luke's sermon is different than Matthew's. But I want to encourage us to resist the temptation, which I'm not too worried about you here, but maybe when you hear people outside the church, to say, resist the temptation to go right to skepticism. See, in Matthew and Luke, they have the same sermon and they can't even get the words right. You know, I've heard some pretty um, um, knowledgeable scholars who will say that can actually, if you think about it, can actually uh, support the, uh, um, how reliable they are. In that if they were exactly the same, then maybe you have indication that they got together and got their story exactly the same. If you've ever talked with detectives, I remember reading in The Case for Christ, they talk about, you know, when you've got two criminals together and they have the exact same story, you know that they've rehearsed it. Whereas if you have someone, two guys or two people, and they give the same account but maybe a little bit different, you know that it's authentic because they haven't rehearsed it together. Because... I'm, it's pretty certain that Matthew and Luke had some knowledge of each other. And they both uh, seem to have a lot in common with Mark. And yet there are differences. And so there's either something in their culture that allowed them to say, you know what, the point of this is the main point. And they all agree on the main thing. But each of them, being led by the Spirit, wanted to draw out different aspects of it. It's something I've heard it talked about like a jewel. You know, you change, you change a jewel and you look at different facets. With the four different gospel writers, we have different facets of the same story. All right. So, if you have more questions about that, I know this can be like hermeneutics and, and uh, synoptic um, 
how closely they relate to each other. That's been a big question. If you ever like would, talk, would like to talk more about that, please give me a call. I'd love to talk with you some more about how, for me, I am fully convinced in the authenticity of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. But if you have questions, please let me know. All right, so let's continue on. So Luke tells us that a large crowd was there and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now, this part of the passage has had me wondering about some of the details that Luke's, Luke gives us here. First, Luke mentions uh, that the size of the crowd. Jesus is always followed by a, by a concentric circle, by a group of concentric circles. And what I mean by that is you have, in this case, you have the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, his inner group, his inner uh, core. These were the people that he spent a lot of time with. This passage here tells us also that there was a crowd of disciples, so more than the 12. It could be in the, under 100, it could be over 100. Luke doesn't tell us, but it's a lot more than the 12. Then outside that, he has a great number of people. And in Greek, it's leos, which is the crowd. So he has a crowd, and I think of this in terms of seekers. These are people who are not yet sure, they haven't devoted their lives to following Jesus yet. They're not sure who he is or what he's teaching, but they're gathered there. They're curious, and they want to know more. Can you see these three concentric circles? The inner group, and then just outside that, there's the disciples, and then outside that, there's even a larger group of people who are seeking, who want to know more about Jesus and what he's teaching. Luke then tells us that they came from all over Judea and from Jerusalem. Judea is, is Israel. Uh, that's the broader term. But Jerusalem was also the place for the religious and the political elite. So you could have people from the city, from all different levels of the socioeconomic class. You could have religious leaders who were maybe coming, who were curious if Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe some who were questioning, who were worried about him, who were actually angry with him. You have all these different groups gathered around Jesus. Then he says this, he says, uh, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now this part, I have to say, I, I am wondering why did Luke include this detail? Tyre and Sidon, <clears throat> these are two cities that were to the northwest uh, of Israel. They, um, and if you look in scripture, like Walter was talking about Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel came from Sidon. And Sidon was the home of the temple of Baal, the god of storms, the god of rain. And if you remember a few months ago, I would be impressed again, but <laughs> uh, preaching through Joel, and that's why God brought a drought is because people were relying on Baal to bring them rain rather than Yahweh, the Lord their God. And so that Luke is mentioning Tyre and Sidon here. Why does he give that detail? At very least, these people from these cities were probably Gentiles, non-Jewish believers. So already you have these, this vast group. You have Jewish people and Gentiles gathering around Jesus to hear what he has to say and to be healed. They came from all over to hear him. And when Luke tells us this, I, it could just be maybe I'm too skeptical, but I think maybe to hear what he has to say. Let's check this Jesus out. Let's see what he's going to teach. And they came to be healed of their diseases. So not quite like devotional, not devoted to him, but more Let's see what he has to say, but I've got this thing that's been bothering me for a while, so let's see if he can heal me. Okay, 
So Jesus has this huge following, this gathering around him of different social and political and religious groups, all gathering around Jesus. And I want to encourage us in this again, that when Jesus is the center, he will hold all of these groups together. Our differences matter, yes, but they matter a lot less when we're gathered around Jesus. If we want to be more gracious, more accepting of our brothers and sisters, even within our church, gathering around Jesus is our best way, staying close to him. I think about this, it reminds me of when I uh, um, marry people. I often tell them that their relationship is, is like a triangle. And I'd say in our church, it's more like a concentric circle. The closer we get to Jesus, necessarily, the closer we will stay together. The further we get from him, the further we get from each other. So we keep gathering around Jesus. That's our best way, not only to grow in our relationship with him, but also to stick together as a church. Now this group is diverse. Some are religious, some are just curious, some are Jewish, some are Gentiles. Jesus has gathered this crowd around him. And then Luke tells us this. He says, those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him in healing them all. Now this is an amazing scene here. Everyone is being healed. The way Luke describes it, it sounds almost like it's involuntary in that um, people are just touching Jesus. Nowhere in the text, and I was careful of this, and I might be reading too much into this, but nowhere in the text does it say Jesus actively touched and healed someone. What he's saying here is that uh, people touched him and were healed. I don't want to dis diminish anything that, that Jesus is the Lord and Savior, that he is the one who is powerful and who heals. But the way that Luke describes it, it's almost like Jesus is so powerful that the healing is just emanating from him. That people are touching him. Like he is, he's not, nowhere in this text does it say he put his hands on someone and healed them, but rather they were touching him and he is so powerful, he is the Messiah, the healer, that people were just being healed by, being, by just touching him. The other key thing here is that Jesus healed all of them. Every one of them. The text is, is, just says all of them, right there at the end, healing them all. Whether they were a disciple, one of his apostles, or a seeker who was just there to check him out. Whether they were Jewish from uh, Jerusalem, or a Gentile from Sidon or Tyre, he still healed them. This is a powerful story of how welcoming and accepting Jesus is. If he is so welcoming, then for us, as we stay closer to him, we too will be welcoming. The question is, how do we get to be more like Jesus? I was thinking about this passage this week, and I was thinking about a lot about, not so much about the text. I mean, I did do some thinking about what was said here, what Luke has told us here, but also what the purpose of this text is. I think the main purpose of this text is sort of to tell us a little bit about who's here at this moment, but more important is to set us up for what's about to come. What Jesus will teach in Luke's Sermon on the Plain. Sermon on the Flat Spot. Jesus is teaching on discipleship. I was thinking about it this week that 
Come, for, come to Jesus, yes. Come to him for healing, but stay for the discipleship. Come to Jesus to have your body healed, but stay to have your life transformed. Heal your body, yes, but more importantly, heal your life. People were gathered all around him because they wanted healing. And Jesus heals them. And now, next week, or actually in two weeks, when we start going through this text, he will begin teaching them about how they follow him. I was thinking about this. I was reminded this week of, of a, um, a famous Christian. His name is uh, Bernard of Clairvaux. Saint Bernard. <laughs> Not a dog, the actual saint. He lived over... Uh, just uh, almost 900 years ago, actually over 900 years ago, he was a Christian who lived and followed Jesus 900 years ago. And he talked about this, this reflection on love. He said some people love themselves for their own sake, and we can all think about one or two people we know like that. There are also people who love God for their sake. They love God for what God can do for them. But then he said there's this, when you grow in love, you begin loving God for God's sake. That's when you love Jesus, not because of what Jesus does for you, but because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done. When you love Jesus, whether he heals you or not, whether he fixes your problems or not, you continue to love him for his sake. The last one was loving ourselves because for God's sake. And the point there is realizing who we are in light of Jesus and how deeply Jesus loves us, and so we love ourselves as well. The thing is, Jesus wants us to keep growing in our faith. He wants us to be close to him, to continue moving from that outer circle, that seeker group, to keep moving towards him into the disciple group, and even closer still into that intimate circle. And there are times in our lives, and I feel this in my own life, when I feel in that inner circle, when I am close to Jesus. And then there are some times when I feel uh, maybe I'm out at disciple, and then there are really rough times when I feel like, man, Jesus, are you really the Son of God? That we move in and out of those circles, but ultimately Jesus wants us to keep moving closer to him, where more and more of our life feels like it's in that inner circle, that inner circle of disciple. How do we do that? How do we keep getting closer to Jesus? Part of it is by listening to his teaching. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start hearing his teaching as he taught on the Sermon on the Plain. The other part is living his teaching. There are lots of people. There are lots of people who know Scripture, who can quote Scripture, but who do not live a faithful life following Jesus and don't even care to. So it's not just enough to know. It's, we have to live it as well. We stay close to Jesus to become more like him. Become more, we become more like him through reading God's word, through praying, through fasting, through serving others, through gathering together in worship. These are ways that we get closer to Jesus. People came to be healed. They gathered around him in this story to be healed. But Jesus wants more for us. I believe God does want to heal our bodies, but more than that, he wants to transform our lives. He wants to make us holy and faithful to him. This is what I hear God speaking to us this morning, that we keep moving toward the center. Keep seeking healing, yes, 
There are things even in our lives right now that say, Lord, please heal us. But don't stop there. Seek this new Jesus-shaped life. Not only is it good and more full and more meaningful, but it goes on forever. This is the sort of richness and fullness of life Jesus is calling us to. In times like this, we say, yes, Lord, help us get out of this. I've been praying that especially this last week. Lord, please come. Make things good and right again. Fix this messed up situation, this messed up world we live in. But in the meantime, don't waste this time. That we would grow closer to Jesus in this. That we would become more like him. That we would come for help, but we would stay until our lives are transformed. This is the good news of Jesus this morning. Amen.